Well, I want to kind of continue today. I, I, I want to do the same thing I did last Sunday in getting you to start thinking about a big moment in your life. Can you think of one? Maybe it was a big decision or a, a wedding day or a big purchase or a big game. Do you have a big moment in your life? Six of us do. Okay, I want all six of us then to think about that big moment in life. Okay, think about whenever that, I'm talking about a really big one. Now, here's why I want you to think about that big moment, whatever that means to you. I want you to think, if you can remember this, what were you thinking about the night before? The the night before that big moment, what were you thinking about? What were you praying about? Last week, we began a study looking at at John chapter 17. Now, that chapter is 26 verses long. The entire chapter is a prayer. It's Jesus' longest recorded prayer in the New Testament. And, and it is taking place in the upper room. It is the night before the crucifixion. I think we can say Jesus had a big day coming up, didn't we? Didn't he? I mean, he had a big moment in front of him. And so in this prayer, we have a chance to see what was on Jesus' mind. What, what was he thinking about? What was he praying about? What was important to him in this moment. You know, if you'll think about it, if, if you can remember, you know what, the night before a big moment is kind of a, kind of a self-centered moment, isn't it? Now, I, don't, I don't mean that as an accusation or, you know, shame on you, you know, because self-centered is obviously not something we want to be. But when it's the night before a big moment, what are you thinking about? Yourself. Man, how, how's this going to work out for me? What's this going to mean to me? How am I going to look? What are people going to think about me? It's, it's a moment where we're kind of engaged in that moment and how it's going to touch our lives. Now, as we look in, in chapter 17 and all through those 26 verses, do we see Jesus kind of focused on himself? Well, no, last week we saw in verse 1, his very first, his big prayer was that God would be seen. God, I pray that as I go through this moment... I pray you're seen. I pray you are worshipped. And you know, when Jesus is praying that, and I'm going to throw a curveball at you, hang on with this, okay? When Jesus is praying that in this moment, I pray you're seen and I pray you're worshipped, do you realize as God answers that prayer, that, that prayer is the answer for every prayer you've ever prayed. You're praying about your marriage, you're praying about bills, you're praying about a, you know, a child, maybe you're praying about something going on at work or at school. The answer to that prayer ultimately is that God is seen and worshipped. You're saying, well, now, I'm, okay, I mean, I think, you know, God being seen and worshipped, that's big in everything, that's important in everything, but, but how is that actually the answer to everything? Well, he, he, here's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to connect these dots A simple verse, a verse I use a lot, Hebrews 9.27. It tells us, and just as it is appointed unto people to die once, and then after that, the judgment. Folks, every person in this room is moving toward an appointment. And on the other side of that appointment, we go to one of two destinations forever, for all eternity. We either move into an eternal hell or into any, an eternal punishment. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 25, 46. He says, and, and some will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. Folks, we've got all of these things that are of big concern to us in, the, in this life. The, these things that send us 
to our knees in prayer. But these things that are so big to us will all one day become incredibly irrelevant. I'm not saying they're irrelevant in the moment that you're living them. I'm not saying they're unimportant or or that they don't need to be dealt with in the moment that you're living them. But folks, when you come to that appointment and your life is moving there, when you come to this appointment and you're looking out at a at a sea of eternity, which let's be honest, we don't even we can't even grasp that. What does it look like to be looking out there at eternity? But I'm guessing when we do, and we look back at this life, I think it's going to be irrelevant whether we walked on this earth eight days, eight years, or 88 years. It, it won't matter. When you're looking back at this little blip that we call life, and that's what life is going to be, a blip when you're looking at eternity. I, I think when you look back, it won't matter whether you were healthy or sick. When you look back at at this little blip, it won't matter if you were rich or poor. It won't matter if you walk through this life with all the friends and family in the world or you walk through this life completely alone and feeling alone. I'm not saying that in the midst of the blip, we don't have preferences. We do. I mean, I've got preferences of of how long I live and how I live and and how I die. And, and, And the Bible says I can pray about all those things. But my life is, for a fact, moving to this appointment. And when you get to that appointment, that's all going to become kind of irrelevant. Folks, the bigger thing going on is eternity. Jesus has eternity in mind as he's praying. Huge moment in front of him. A massive huge moment in front of him. But that's not the big thing. Eternity is the big thing. Jesus has on his mind your appointment with God. And, and it is this, the, his focus, his understanding of the bigness of eternity, it's what enables him to face the next day. It, it's why he's not focused on whether the leaders are going to accept him or not, or, or whether people are going to appreciate him for, for who he is and, and what he's done. It's why he's not even focused on if it's going to hurt. I'm not saying those things are unimportant. Jesus is just consumed with the much bigger thing, eternity. Oh, you know, we, we've all got a week in front of us. Some of us maybe in this room are going to have the best week of our lives. I hope it's all of us. Probably most of us it won't be. But there might be somebody in this room. You're about to have the very best week of your entire life. And there might be someone here about to have the worst week of your life. I, I hope that's not true for anybody. You know where most of us are going to live. We're not going to have the worst week or the best week. We're just going to live right there in the middle of the best and the worst, right? And that's how most weeks turn out. Do you realize it's all going to pass? Whether it's the best or just a normal or the worst, it is all going to pass. Eternity does not pass. That's why it's so big to Jesus. That's why that's what he's focused and praying on. Let's continue in understanding what he was praying about with this mindset, okay? Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some in the chairs in front of you. If it's not one right in front of you, it's somewhere on that road. You just kind of point down there and somebody will hand you one. Uh, but John 17, fourth book into the New Testament. After Mark and Luke, you get to Acts and Romans, you've gone too far. John chapter 17. Now we're looking at verses 2 to 5 today. We only looked at verse 1. Can we go ahead and read verse 1 as kind of just to remember, remind ourselves? Yeah, it's not that long. Let's do that. Let's start in verse 1. John 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things. Then he looked up to heaven and he said, 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave Him authority over all flesh so He may give eternal life to all you have given Him. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, again, last week we looked at verse 1 and we saw that as Jesus had this big moment in front of him, his prayer was, God, I pray you are seen. Shine the light on me. Bring glory to me. Shine the light on me so that as people are seeing me, they see you. That, that you are glorified. That, that you are worshipped. And so, what does Jesus have in front of him? Some things we would not want in front of us. Some things we'd pray about. God, I pray this goes away. But as Jesus is looking at an eventual betrayal and an arrest and a scourging and a, and a beating and then ultimately being crucified, his big prayer is, God, as I go through this, I pray you are seen. And I pray it results in people worshiping you. And so Jesus, in verses 2 through 5, is continuing this idea of God being glorified, of God being seen. And he's praying about how that's going to happen. And he says there, you know, ultimately, Lord, I know you're going to be glorified. You're going to be seen when I use what you've given me to use. You have given me authority, authority to give eternal life. Now, you know, authority can be given. Authority, authority has limits. It has boundaries. And, and we're often trying to figure those boundaries of authority out. You know, you know, if you come out of the church here and go north today, and there's a Chesterfield police officer with a radar gun, and you're going maybe at a speed you shouldn't be going, he has the authority to stop your car, doesn't he? If you don't think he does, just keep going and find out what happens. You might make the news, but it won't be good. Yeah, he has the authority to stop your car and he has the authority to write you a ticket. But a Chesterfield police officer does not have the authority to set up his radar just south of the creek right here, does he? He can't go into Colonial Heights, set up his radar and give you a ticket as you're coming into Colonial Heights. No, there's a whole other group person that has authority for that. That's a Colonial Heights police officer. So see, authority has boundaries. Authority has limits. And you and I, we're constantly trying to figure out the boundaries, aren't we? We're constantly testing the limits to, to see what that is. As a matter of fact, I bet more than one person in here has had a conversation with your boss. And you say, does, uh, does that guy over there have the authority to ask me that? You know, we're looking to somebody in authority to find out, if does he have the authority to, to tell me what to do? Does he have the authority to be evaluating me? Some of you all know what that conversation's like. Or maybe you've had this conversation. You've been on the phone. Can I talk to somebody in authority? Can somebody up there make a decision? You see, it, there's times we want to decrease the authority. There's other times I want to increase it. I, I want to see somebody with authority that can help me out here. We're always questioning authority, always questioning its boundaries. Now, the Scripture here tells us that Jesus has the authority to give you eternal life. Now, I'm not going to question that, are you? You know, the old expression, you don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Man, I mean, Jesus wants to give me authority. I'm not going to question, I mean, give me eternal life. I'm not going to question that. But do you know that somebody will? His name is Satan. He's a condemner. He is an accuser. And when Jesus get, uses his authority to give you eternal life, Satan's going to come and he's going to test that authority. As a matter of fact, the one time that Satan tells the truth is going to be on you. He's going to bring a list and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You cannot give him eternal life. Look at, look at all the lies. 
Look, look at the greed. Look right here. Look at the lust. Lord, look at all these places right in the middle of it. I'm going to need a second sheet for this. Look at all the places. He didn't give you thanks. He never acknowledged your goodness, your provision, your work. In his life. He didn't acknowledge any of this. And God, look right down here. These that I highlighted in red. These are places, not only did he not acknowledge your goodness, he actually took credit for it. Not only did he not say thank you, he took credit for what you had done in his life. You can't give this one eternal life. Satan will rightly condemn you. Satan will rightly accuse you. And we've got a real problem. And so it takes somebody with authority, and guess who has the authority to handle the problem? Jesus does. Jesus has the authority to go to the cross and make a satisfactory payment for your sin. Jesus has the authority not only to grant you forgiveness. I mean, you've got to have authority to release somebody from their wrong. You've got to have authority to release somebody from the punishment of their crimes. Jesus has the authority not only to grant that forgiveness, but to do it in a way that the demands of justice and holiness are are met. Jesus has authority to give you eternal life. And folks, when you start to understand what Jesus is saying there, you realize more and more there is no loss at the cross. Jesus was not losing. God was not losing, not even for a moment. Jesus at the cross is expressing His authority and His victory for you. And that authority is to give you something, isn't it? It's a gift. What is He giving you? Eternal life. Now, what is eternal life? I mean, we have a lot of questions about that, don't we? What is, what is eternal life? What is, what is heaven? And, and our questions usually have to do with, you know, what am I going to get? You know, d- does, does my dog go to heaven? I got, a, I got a buddy and I got a Winnie. They're good dogs. They're better than y'all's. I mean, they really are. And so, I, you know, I'd like Buddy and Winnie to be in, be in heaven with me. Uh, especially Buddy. He's a real good dog. Winnie's okay. She doesn't have much of a brain. But... So I went, you know, so you ask it, don't we? My pet's going to be in heaven. Do we get to eat this in heaven? Do we get, I don't know why this is such a big deal. Like, I mean, you cannot be happy unless you have wings. God, do I get wings in heaven? If you notice how popular a question that is, what are you going to do with wings? But you need them in heaven, I guess. And so we got questions like this. And you know, the, the funny thing is, do you realize there's really kind of a negative tone to those questions? Because there's almost the implication, if I don't get wings, or, or my pet's not there with me, then, well, then heaven's lacking. Th- then there's something missing. I mean, can I really be happy if, if heaven doesn't have this? And so we're trying to measure eternity. We're trying to measure heaven in these ways as if that's what heaven is all about. You know, folks, the Bible teaches us that heaven has streets of what? That's got to be pretty cool, isn't it? I mean, you've got to love that at a bank. You know what, folks? Heaven's not about streets of gold. You know, the Bible teaches, John 14, it's really kind of cool, it says when Jesus returns to heaven, which He's done, He's preparing a place for you. He's building something with you. Not not you, you, the individual. He is preparing a place for you. That's just got to be awesome. Jesus building me a house. You know what? Heaven's not about that house. You know, the Bible says when I get to heaven, I'm going to be reunited with, with family and, and friends and loved ones that have gone before me in Christ. Man, a lot of us, especially at a funeral, we take great hope and encouragement in that, don't we? And we got some great songs and some great hymns about the great gathering on the other side, right? 
Folks, you know what? Heaven's not about that reunion. Heaven's about one thing. Jesus says eternal life is this. It's knowing God. And honestly, I mean, let, let's just be honest. As we sit here this morning, we're not sure if that excites us or not. I mean, we have, you know, many of us in here, we've been saved. The Holy Spirit's living in us. We have the ability to study scriptures and, and to understand and hopefully put our hope and our excitement in heaven. Knowing God is, is that fun? Is, is that good? You see, our, our fallen world, our taintedness in sin we can't even begin to comprehend the fullness, the richness, the beauty, the complete absorbing satisfaction in just knowing and relating with the living God. We will be doing a lot of things in heaven. We, we, heaven's a very real, very physical place. If you notice, we always make heaven kind of a mystical, kind of foggy can't quite touch it, grab it type of place. No, it's a very physical, very real place. We'll be living purposeful lives. We'll be doing things. That's not what heaven's about, though. Heaven is about knowing and relating with God. And Jesus has the authority to give that opportunity. You completely messed it up. And you can't do anything to fix it. But Jesus was given a very specific authority to correct that problem for you, to restore to you that opportunity. Jesus is so excited, I think, about this. He begins, I, I use the word worship. He, he begins to, to give thanks, to give praise. And he says in verse 4 here, he says, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. A couple things stand out here in this verse to me. Notice, first of all, that, that line, by completing the work you gave me to do. You know, Jesus and the Father, as well as the Holy Spirit, they are equal. They're equal in their existence. They're equal in their eternity. They're equal in their glory. In, in every way, power, wisdom, uh, in every way, they are equal. But inside the equality of this relationship, there are roles. And the Father plays the role of supreme glory. The Father in His role can give to the Son an assignment. He can give to the Son a task. And the, the pure pleasure of the Son is to submissively receive that assignment and obey that assignment. To receive that task and to fulfill that task. And so we see equality, but in that equality, there are roles that are played. And, and Jesus says here, I have glorified you by completing the work. Now I find that interesting. Because you remember, we just looked last week, verse 1. Just a couple lines ahead, he's saying, hey, God, you know, glorify me so that I can. Help me to glorify you as I go through this tomorrow in this big event. And so, you know, it hasn't quite happened yet. And now Jesus is referring to it as if it's completed, as if it's done. I have finished the work. Now, I scratch my head and say, now, wait a minute. He hadn't finished the work. The work is tomorrow, right? You, you, Jesus, you got to go to the cross. As a matter of fact, on the cross, he says what? It is it's finished. What's finished? The task. The, the assignment given to me in eternity past by the Father. It is finished. It's finished on the cross, but it's Thursday night, and He's speaking about it like it's done. How, why is He doing that? I think what we have in Christ is a, is a resolve for the cross. I mean, it's almost completed. Jesus received an assignment way back here in eternity past. 
And he faithfully carried that assignment all the way through eternity past until he landed in Bethlehem and put on humanity. And now he has carried that task faithfully through the 33 years all the way up to the Thursday night before. And he is so committed. He is so resolved to going to the cross. Nothing's going to stop him. The resolve is so great, it's as if it's already completed. In his mind, it's done. Nothing's going to stop. We're all the way to this point and nothing's going to stop it. You remember when Jesus told Peter about what was going to happen? And and Peter said, no, we're going to fight this. We're going to keep this from happening. And sure enough, we get to the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter grabs a sword. He's going to fight. Jesus, put the sword down. I mean, really, do you think I would need you and your little sword? I mean, I've got thousands of angels. I'm not fighting this. And then Jesus ends up in a, in a trial with the high priest and then later in a trial with Pilate and all these wild, silly, just stupid accusations are coming at Jesus and both, both the high priest and Pilate say, why aren't you answering these accusations? Why don't, why don't you defend yourself? Jesus wasn't there to defend himself. He wasn't there to stop the cross. He was not there to fight the cross. He was there to go to the cross. He was there to make the cross happen because at the cross, the glory of His Father would be seen. At the cross, He would fulfill His assignment, Himself giving glory to the Father. At the cross, the glory, the power, and the love of the Godhead would be made known to all. Not just all on Golgotha that day, but all in human history. Folks, at the cross, there's no loss. Jesus didn't lose. It wasn't a moment, but in, you know, he'll rally in death and come back. Man, at the cross, Jesus was expressing his authority and his victory to fix, to solve your problem. At the cross. Jesus goes on in verse 5. I believe he's kind of he's thinking about the future by reminiscing about the past. And he says, hey dad... You remember when we came up with this plan in eternity past? Remember when you gave me that assignment in eternity past? Remember the glory we shared in that moment? And now, Father, in just a matter of time, I'm going to be returning to that. I'm going to be returning to that relationship, the relationship He won for you. That's all Jesus wanted. I'm going to return. I'm going to return to that relationship with you like we knew it in eternity past. And that's what He's won for you he dreams about he thinks about the past he begins dreaming about the future oh lord i'm returning i'm returning to you to that glory i had with you before the world existed by the way little note there on verse five that's a good one to to underline or to star or you know here's proof every now and then you'll hear somebody say you know i don't did i don't know that jesus ever said he was god I, i don't know that the bible ever teaches that jesus was god Now, of course, whoever says that clearly has not opened the Bible to find that out or look at what Jesus said to find that out. He says that throughout the New Testament. Here is one of those places. Folks, in in just these three lines, or it's three lines in the way it's written in my Bible, uh, Jesus is claiming to be coexistent, co-eternal, and share the same exact glory as God the Father. Jesus absolutely claims to be God. There's a verse expressing that right there. Now, folks, we're looking at a prayer, remember? 
John chapter 17, it's a prayer. So we can look here and say, hey man, are there lessons here for me and how I should pray? We're always wanting to learn how to, how to pray or to pray better or to pray the magic way so we get what we want. You know, how, how do I pray? But of course, not only in a prayer, we also see priorities. We also see what is important. And I do think Jesus is teaching you and I something about prayer. I mean, he's having a real prayer between him and his father. But in that, we learn something. And I think what Jesus is teaching us is, man, you can pray to God about anything. My blood, what I did for you on the cross, gives you the chance to go into verse 5. Gives you the chance to go into that presence of God and enjoy His glory and talk with Him about anything and everything. But while you're doing that, don't get caught up thinking that life is about the answer to your prayers. He didn't say the answers aren't important. That what you want's not important. He said, don't get caught up thinking that's the big thing. And you know what? If you'll think about it, folks, that is our temptation, isn't it? I mean, if I'm praying about it, it's because it's a big deal to me, right? If I'm praying about it, it's because it's important. It's heavy. It's a burden. It, it's, it, it's, it's big. And you and I will begin to think that's what life is. It's the answer to this prayer. And we'll start defining life by that prayer. We'll start defining God by that prayer. And what Jesus is saying to us is, that's not the big thing. You wouldn't believe it, but one day you're going to land at a point where all of that becomes incredibly irrelevant. The big thing is eternity. The big thing is people seeing God. And say, okay, Jesus, I see that and I believe that. What is that supposed to mean to me? What does that mean about how I pray? And I think Jesus said, pray all the same prayers. Pray the same way you would have. But add God and eternity to it. And so I, I, I'm still praying, God, I, you know, I, I, I want to be healed. I, I don't want to have this disease. I don't want to have this pain. But God, whether the answer is healing or whether the answer is you bringing me home, I pray that as I walk throughout this sickness, people see you. And it has an impact on their eternity. Because that's the real big deal. My healing or my death. That's going to pass. God, I really need help in this bill. I really, I mean, I'm in a mess, God. I need an answer. And that's real, isn't it? I mean, I need a real God, I need it by Thursday, to be honest with you. But God, in the way I handle this, and the way I look to you, and the faith I express, and the way I handle my finances between, between now and Thursday, may I do it in such a way that my mate, my family, my friends, anybody who's seeing this, may I handle this in a way that they see you. May I live through this moment in a way that it impacts their eternity. Folks, the big thing is God and eternity. That's what Jesus is showing us here. And in prayer, He's showing us we need to attach God and eternity to our prayers. Folks, if you think about it, my prayers have two big things in common. Me and the temporary. Now, those are pretty big things to me. But they pass. Jesus says, pray for you. Pray for the temporary. But see God and eternity in it. Folks, there's not a relationship you have. There's not a situation you're going to face, big or small. There's nothing you're going to walk through this week that is not an opportunity for people around you to see God. And is not an opportunity to have an impact on their eternity. Eternity is a lot bigger than the temporary, isn't it? We got that? 
then that should show up in our prayers, shouldn't it? Man, thank you, Jesus, for showing me that because I really, I really do kind of get caught up in just me and in just the temporary. Help me. Help me in all these things I'm praying about. Look for God in eternity. Let's pray. Father, it's easy to say that. But I would pray for myself and I would pray for each one in this room that when we pray this week, maybe we'll get down on our knees beside our bed or maybe we got a couch that we sit on or Lord, you know I got a desk that I sit at up in the attic. When I'm sitting there and praying, and God, I get, I get so consumed with the, the heaviness of this moment. The, the heaviness of this thing that I want resolved or fixed or added or deleted. God, I, I, would, you show, would you remind me? And would you give me wisdom at what it looks like to pray that in this thing that I want fixed, that, I, that I'm praying, God, as I walk through this, I pray people see you. Lord, I walk through all kinds of things without ever thinking about whether people see you. God, I walk through all kinds of things, many of these things affecting lives all around me. And I don't at all think about what difference this might make in eternity. God, I have a tendency to be very short-sighted and very, very small. Gosh, I look at you, Jesus, and the hugeness of what you're about to deal with on Friday. And you show me, you show me right here what it looks like to be focused on God and eternity. Would you help me to do that? Would you help us to do that, God? Jesus, I want to pray like you did. I want to live like you did. I want to make the difference that you did. And I know you want that. I know you want to use me in that way. You want to use us in that way. You want to use us. You want to be us in every relationship. You want to be us in every one of our situations. God, help us. Help us to learn to pray this way. It's in, it's in your name that I ask this. Amen.